Hello, Hope Church family, and I also want to welcome those who may be joining us for the first time. We are so excited to have you here as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not just celebrating the resurrection. We are going to be celebrating everything about this entire weekend as we remember what Jesus has done for us. I'm so excited to be able to, to share with you and to talk to you about some of the most important things, if not the most important thing that I believe we can share with you. I love how Will opened up talking and sharing with you Philippians chapter 2 that's called the mind of Christ. As we look at what exactly did Jesus do for us? And there's a lot of questions that I'm sure uh, pop up whenever we read that passage. It is very, very in-depth. Questions like, what does it mean that Jesus took on human flesh? Uh, What does it mean that uh, he was a servant? Or what does it mean that he was a man but still God? Or that he left heaven and came to earth? That the word humility or humble is used a couple different times in that passage and yet he was still God. Or what does it mean that he was obedient even to the point of death? What does it mean that he was so humiliated in front of other people, that he knew shame. What does that mean for us? Or maybe you're wondering, what is Easter? Why, since I was a kid, did I have to get dressed up this weekend and go to church, but it's not Christmas? What does that mean when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why do we make such a big deal about this weekend at churches? And I hope that studying through just a couple passages, and again, even though we're in a series in Matthew, we're going to jump towards the end of Matthew. Uh, This is kind of the spoiler alert as we go through Matthew, but these are exactly why we do everything that we do. It is why we get so excited about this time of year to share with people why we can demonstrate joy and forgiveness and love and why we do these things, why we are to be servant-minded, why we get to operate, as we've been talking about, in this upside-down kingdom. So I hope you'll join me. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. My goal this evening is to explain these different questions that I've just proposed, or maybe they're questions that you're thinking, but I also want to explain what it means for us moving forward in our relationship with God. Whether you say you have a relationship with God, or maybe this is the first time that you're hearing about Him, or anywhere in between. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you moving forward? Now, I want you to go back in your mind. We're coming out of this basically a three-year time period that we haven't actually started yet in our study of Jesus ministering with his disciples. And he's going all over this uh, region of the geography that is known as now Israel. He's up in the northern part and he's back in Jerusalem. And he's traveling back and forth and he's performing miracles and people are following him, but the religious leaders are just getting angrier and angrier at him. Last week we talked about it being Palm Sunday and that's when Jerusalem rode into Uh, or that's when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and people threw down palm leaves in their coats, giving him the welcoming of a king. And maybe if you've been reading about the Passion Week this last week, all the different events that happened this week. Well, I want to focus on what happened on what would have been Thursday evening. 
Jesus is with his disciples. Uh, at the end um, of the Passover dinner, he looks at Judas and says, whatever you must do, go. And Judas leaves. He tells them that he's going to be betrayed. And the disciples are so blind, they don't realize it's Judas. Then Jesus says, by the way, you're all going to uh, leave me very shortly. And they're all like, no, Jesus, we would never do that. And I love Peter because Peter says, hey, Jesus, this is my words, not the actual Greek text. Even if all these schmoes leave you, I've got your back always. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So the disciples are very confused. Why does Jesus keep talking about, like Jesus said he's going to be king. Jesus says he's the son of God. Why does he keep talking about dying? Why does he keep talking about what he's going to go through? Why does he talk about being resurrected? What is he talking about? So we pick up the story as they're, after they leave uh, the Passover um, and they're walking. And the book of John has several chapters that are just dedicated to the conversation that happens at this time. But we're going to pick them up in chapter 26, verse, starting in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. At that point, if you continue reading, Judas shows up. Judas betrays him with a kiss, and he is arrested and led away to a series of trials. But I want to focus on this passage here for this evening, and we're going to get into other parts of the story in a moment. But I want to look at what we learn about Jesus just from this passage. What do we see in Jesus that now we can look at ourselves and say, okay, what does this mean for me? Because even though it's just this short passage and maybe it's not often talked about, I think it combines so much of what we have seen from Jesus up to this point and what we will continue to see through him through the rest of the book. But the first thing that I really want to drive home the first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus knows human emotion. Jesus knows human emotion. When we talk about that Jesus took on flesh, that Jesus, who is in the throne room of heaven, 
a picture that we as human beings on earth just cannot imagine. When we see all that Jesus was, that he is and was and always will be God, but that he was allowed, he allowed himself to be in human form, even coming to earth as a baby, as we talked a couple weeks ago, to be in the care of his own created beings. Jesus demonstrated incredible humility. But I think sometimes we forget that he allowed himself to experience the emotions of a human being that he knows what it is to be human here on earth. And in just this passage alone, and there's other passages where we see him, he's weeping over a lost friend. And, uh, you know, Isaiah tells us that he was a man who knew trouble, that he knew different things that uh, we, a couple weeks ago, we say he possibly lost his father sometime as a teenager. We don't know for sure. But Jesus experienced emotions of a human being, that he wasn't separated as sometimes he is portrayed to be or that we can think about him in our own minds, but Jesus knows human emotion. Just in this passage, we see that Jesus knew what it was to feel alone. The statistics are overwhelming of this past year during a pandemic of people feeling alone or uh, the different feelings that people have gone through, but here we see Jesus. He knows all of his closest friends, the people that are closest to him, his disciples, are all going to abandon him. In fact, shortly after he's arrested in this passage, basically everyone takes off. John stayed close, but Peter was watching from a distance, and then just as Jesus told him he would, he denies him three times. So Jesus knew exactly what was going to be happening. Jesus asked them to come with him, and it says, it goes through the emotion that he is feeling. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The time he needed his friends there the most, they fell asleep. He says, stay, pray, keep watch with me. They fell asleep. Three different times he has to wake them up. It says, for their eyes were heavy. Apparently, some of them had toddlers. Just kidding. Jesus is going through this emotional time, and the people that were closest to him, even though they were there in person, they weren't there in spirit. Next, we see that he is betrayed. Not only were they not there, but at the time he needed them, the most they leave him. They take off. He's going through sorrow. Maybe you've been in the exact same situation. Maybe you're here because you had nowhere else to turn. Something drove you to watch this video. Something drove you to watch church. Somebody told you that, hey, I heard you're going through a rough time. Have you tried church? Have you tried the Bible? Have you tried God? Have you tried Jesus? And you're just doing it on a whim to keep somebody happy. I want you to know, Jesus knows your emotion. I'm hoping the thing that you take away from this is that Jesus loves you individually. Jesus loves you as if you're the only person in the world. Jesus understands what you're going through. He doesn't, he's not some far off being who can't relate. He knows. He knows what you're going through. And the third thing that we see, again, there's many more. I'm just keeping it somewhat brief. We see that Jesus is anxious of the future. We don't really think about that that much. But Jesus is demonstrating that he is sorrowful, that he says, I'm sorrowful to the point of death. Why? Because I believe he knew what was coming next. And although we're going to see that he went through so much for the first time and the only time in all eternity, 
He was going to take on your sins. He was going to take on my sins. And he was going to cause a separation between him and his father, God. God cannot have fellowship. God cannot be in fellowship with sin. And Jesus took on our sins on his shoulders. He took them on him to bring them to death. Jesus is going to go through incredible uh, mocking. He was going to go through the most shameful death that there was in being publicly executed on a cross. Understand, we see people wearing crosses now. The cross was so shameful. The cross was something nobody talked about. Nobody would have ever worn anything. It wasn't something mentioned in conversations. The cross was to, to existed to cause such severe pain that who they did that to, other people who had the same idea would never want to do that. They would do it and put people uh, on the cross outside of different cities. This is what the Romans would do to keep people in line, to keep them fearful. But nobody talked about it. Only the government would use it as a threat or as something that would be carried out as a warning to other people, as a warning to their military enemies, as a warning to those attacking the Roman government. This was so awful and so brutal and so shameful. And yet that is the way that Jesus would die for you and for me, the ultimate form of humility. And so what do we see? We see Jesus saying this three different times. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Saying, Jesus, if there is any other way that we can accomplish what we need to accomplish so that sinners can have hope, so that sinners can have forgiveness that only we can offer, if there's another way, so be it. But if there is not, your will be done. I will continue to carry out what it is I came here to earth to do. Three different times as he is praying and sweating, it says that they were dropping from him like droplets of blood. This is this intense prayer, a father with a son with his father pleading, if there is some other way, if not, I will do it. So Jesus knows human emotion. Secondly, Jesus knew God's will. Jesus understood what it was and why he came. Why did he come? He came to defeat sin and death. This is why we celebrate this resurrection weekend. Understand, if Jesus does not rise from the dead, he is no different than anybody else who has ever said that they are some type of a rescuer, that they are some type of savior, that they are some type of messiah. No one has ever come and beaten death, beaten sin and beaten death. Read with me Matthew chapter 28. We're going to skip ahead, starting in verse 1. This says, after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. I have to stop and just say, all hope was gone. Their faith was gone. They still went to worship. They still went to the Jesus' tomb who had changed their lives. Sorry, I had to say that. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Love that. He has risen just as he said. God keeps his promises. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I have chills right now and goosebumps. Jesus defeated death. Jesus rose from the dead just as he said he would do. Jesus knew God's will. He knew that the bigger picture, the eternal picture, was that sin and death would forever be defeated. Jesus was to be the sacrificial lamb that defeats sin and death that is only possible through his resurrection. If you're doing the Read Scripture app with us, we just watched a video on the Messiah again. Going back to Genesis 3 when the promise was made, you uh, you will puncture him or you will spear him. And, or you will bite his heels, the actual wording, but he will crush your head. The crucifixion was the biting on the heel of the Messiah. But this day is when the serpent's head would be crushed. Sin and death no longer had a hold on mankind. Jesus knew God's will. Jesus understood the big picture of why he must carry this out. That brings us to our third point. Jesus understood the weight of obedience. Jesus understood the weight of obedience. Jesus went through pain and suffering that no human being had ever experienced before, that no human being would ever experience again, but he went through it as a human being to experience the death that only a sinner should have. Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus who lived a perfect life, Jesus who was God, allowed himself to feel the pain and the agony of the death of a sinner. That is an unbelievable love. Why did he do that? Because he had to pay the price for our sin. He took your sin and he took my sin upon his shoulders. Jesus went through pain and suffering that no human ever had or ever will so that we never have to pay the price for our sin. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 27. And Matthew gives a smaller look. When you look at all the different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and their account, you get a big picture of exactly what Jesus went through for us. But I want to read this account starting in Matthew chapter 27, Verse 27 says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. 
and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and explained, Surely this he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Here we see Jesus and what he went through. Just a small portrait of what he went through. If we read in the other Gospels, we realize what pain and torture and whippings. The reason somebody else had to carry the cross is he could no longer walk, what it meant to be crucified with nails spiked through your wrists and feet, what it was to be in front of all of these people hanging there, bleeding to death slowly. And the reason that they actually died was asphyxiation because they could no longer hold themselves up. The death was brutal. This is a picture of what Jesus went through for you. Jesus understood the weight of obedience. He understood what God's will was, that it was going to be horrible, that it was going to be terrifying. He understood what it was to take on your sins and my sins. He understood what needed to be done so that he could be the Messiah of the world, what it was to be that Passover lamb, what it was to be the sacrificial perfect lamb of God who would be sacrificed. I love what John the Baptist says when he sees him, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is what he did 
at that moment. We have a tendency to think that God blesses us with earthly rewards. But obedience sometimes results in earthly trials and hard times, but always is rewarded with eternal heavenly rewards. When it says in that Philippians passage that he was exalted above any other, it is because he followed in obedience, perfect obedience. Did he feel alone? Yes. Did he feel human emotions? Yes. Did he feel anxiety? Yes. Did he feel all of those things? Yes. But knowing the weight of obedience, he followed through with it. He knew what God had for him. So now, how do we apply this to our life? Our application is number one, we have a Savior who is sympathetic to our humanity. We have a Savior who is sympathetic to our humanity. Jesus, who knew what it was to be alone, who knew what it was to be betrayed. Jesus, who understood what it was to feel human emotions, is now this Savior that when we ask Him to forgive our sins, when we make Him the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, He becomes our Savior. He becomes this being who will never leave us alone who because of his forgiveness and because of his love, he brings joy and hope to us so that we are never alone again. He will never betray us. He is always there. Those different things in our life, those different times that we can look back on where we felt alone, where we felt betrayed, where we felt like nobody was there with us, that nobody had our back, understand that now, can have a relationship with this personal, loving God who knows the future, who knows the pain and the emotions that you go through, who understands and knows the anxiety that you deal with. We are never alone. Jesus is a compassionate and personal Savior who knows pain and suffering. And again, anyone can have this relationship with God because of what Jesus did. Because he took your sins on his shoulders and my sins on his shoulders, that he took them to the grave when he died and then he defeated death, we no longer have to pay the penalty for our sins. We no longer have to be eternally separated from God. We can now not only have a future that will last for eternity in this amazing heaven, in this new kingdom that he is establishing, but now we have someone, a guide through life with us. Anyone can have this relationship with God because of Jesus. Second application, that God's will for us is devoted worship to him. Again, we see Jesus that he's praying. We see Jesus, he's praying to God, not, not basically, not my will, but your will. Can you take this cup from me? If not, I will do it. Why? Because Jesus is the example of what devoted worship to God is. So God's will for us, and I hear people ask this all the time, especially working at colleges with that group of ages, 18 to 22 or even more, but even more with adults, I have people like we're just trying to figure out what God's will for us is. Let me explain what it is to you really quick. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, verses that we mention uh, a lot. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Number one, God's will is always for you to obey him. Uh, There's passages that literally say this is God's will that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's will that you start there. But what is the point that he's making here? What is it to be uh, that God's will for us is devoted worship to him or sacrificial, and we can even substitute worship and service, that God's will is that we are involved in sacrificially in service pointed to him. Look at, again, that phrase, true and proper worship. Uh, Even a better translation is, it makes common sense. This is our common sense form of worship or service to him. When we see all that Jesus has done for us, what we just went through in these passages uh, this evening, that we see what Jesus has done for us, it is a common sense response that we offer everything that we are and that we have in sacrificial worship to him. We obey. We offer that to him. It makes sense. And then as we obey, it becomes clear what God's will is for us. I was thinking a couple months ago with my son and I was explaining to him, hey, I need you to obey me. In order for me to trust you and to give you more responsibility, I need you to obey me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, that's how our relationship is with our Father God. We obey him. We become that living sacrifice to him, and he will continue to give us the responsibility of what his will for us is as we carry out simple obedience. So, brings to point number two. Nope, point number three. <laughs> the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love what Jesus tells them. All right, they go out with him. It's already been a long week. It's been a long day. Jesus is saying all sorts of stuff at the Passover dinner. He then is walking through from the Passover dinner out to this garden. He's giving them all sorts of instructions that we see in John, telling them more things. They're like, hey, Jesus, it's getting late. He's like, we're going to go out and pray. So you guys stay here. Uh, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. Went out a little further. He says, hey, pray and keep watch. And then he goes out and prays, and they fell asleep. Comes back. Guys, can't you pray with me? Peter, you just said you would never leave me about, you know, an hour ago. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, I kind of believe that in a lot of cases when we're wondering what the will of God is, we know what it is. We know what God has asked us to do. We know how he's asked us to live. We know what it is to live in service or in worship to him. We know what it is to live sacrificially in every form. But the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It is hard to carry out what we know is right. So why don't we obey? I think it's because we base our actions on earthly sufferings and inconveniences rather than on eternal rewards. 
Can we go back to the example of Jesus? Lord, if it is possible, take this cup from me, but not as I want, as you want. But if this is your will, I will carry out your will. Jesus understood the weight of obedience. He understood that the spirit is willing and the flesh has to follow suit. That in his humanity, he had to go through what he went through because of the eternal reward. He couldn't focus on the earthly um, sacrifice. He couldn't focus on the earthly suffering. In a lot of cases with us in America, it's the earthly inconvenience that stops us from following through. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he tells them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. They fall asleep. Hey, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Their eyes were heavy. They fell asleep. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. They fall asleep. He says, hey, get up. The betrayer is here. They slept. What does this mean for us? This means that we are to pay attention to our surroundings and be in close communication with God. We want to know what the will of God is. We need to pay attention to what's happening around us, to view things with that eternal view, to not allow earthly inconveniences to stop us from carrying out what the will of God is for us, and that we need to be in close communication if we truly want to know what God has for us. So you do the Read Scripture app. Read your Bible. Be in your Bible. Spend time meditating and pondering. As Cam just said last week, how many of you would love to know what God has for you? You'd love to have a conversation with Him. Everybody raises their hand. Read your Bible. That's what it is. Keep watch. Pay attention to your surroundings and be in close communication with God. Now, we've been mentioning at the beginning of every sermon through Matthew a piece of the Lord's Prayer. This is how Jesus instructed his disciples when they said, Hey, teach us how to pray. This is what he told them. I want you to pay attention. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. He says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There is so much to this passage. And we will be discussing this as we go through our Matthew series, hopefully soon. I'm not giving any exact timeline. But what we see here in that verse 10, this is how he instructed them, possibly a couple years before we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what is he saying? Your kingdom come. It is the eternal focus that is most important. It is the eternal focus that outweighs earthly suffering, earthly inconvenience. It is that focus on God's kingdom that outweighs and drives us to obedience so that we can say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus praying for? That God's will be done. Years earlier, telling his disciples, this is how you pray. You pray for his will to be done. I love the Ed Welch quote that says, we often pray more for our happiness than for our holiness. We want to be happy. God commands us 
to be holy. What is Jesus here? He is being holy. He is set apart for that special reason that only he can fulfill. Why? Because he has an eternal mindset of what's most important. He is following God's will for his life. And what does he tell his disciples? Pray so that you will not give into temptation. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's prayer is coming back here in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is continuing to lead by example of what it should look like for us. Again, if you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, our prayer, the entire reason we do everything that we do is that you can understand how much God loves you, that he would give his own son for you. That personal, intentional, intimate love that only a creator can have for his created being that God has for you. Our prayer is that today would be the day of salvation. But for you, the believer, those who say, I do have a relationship with God, what is it for you to balance out? What is driving you? Is it seeking out God's will for your life as you are involved in sacrificial worship of him? Or is it the earthly inconveniences that are driving you? The spirit, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, but Lord, I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you that uh, your son, who is the word, came to earth to live as a human being. But Lord, he did it perfectly. And as John cried out, he was the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So Lord, our prayer is, one, that anyone watching this who doesn't know you, that they would call out to you, that they would confess their sins, that they would be welcomed in as your child, loved by you, forgiven by you, created as a new being as only the Creator can do. Lord, our prayer is also for those that do know you. Lord, that you would point us to your will. Lord, that we wouldn't get caught up in the earthly entanglements, but rather, Lord, we would seek out what your will is as you establish your kingdom here on earth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.